looks like. They bring people high. in the curtain. We're, we're peering behind the curtain here right now in the late night happy hour. Brian Kamenetsky, Andy Kamenetsky, joined by genuinely one of our favorite people in this town. Uh, he is an icon of LA radio and AM oh, 70. Oh, no, this is this is why people show up. They get to hear stuff like this. Yeah. Uh, the voice, the Chargers. Uh, he is... Uh, you know, you see him on the NFL Network, and most importantly, though, so Matt Money Smith, his impression of Joel Myers remains uh. my single favorite <laughs> niche impression <laughs> that I have ever heard, and it is it is absolutely delightful, and I still love it. Former Lakers broadcaster Joel Myers, now in New Orleans. Uh, have you guys won anything? Have you won anything since I was uh, since I was cursed and moved moved out of the Big Easy? No, you have. Oh wait, you have. That's right, you have. Yeah, Joel. Uh, Joel. Well, you know what? If he's watching this right now, it's just par for the course. Not a fan. Not a fan of mine at all. Yeah. <laughs> Before I get hit by a car next time I'm crossing the street. Oh my god! <laughs> Probably what he would say if you asked him. Well, that I mean, brings to... that brings back so many happy memories. Yeah, I mean, it's what we used to do, right? We'd be uh, suffering together. It'd be like what February? They're playing a nine-win Memphis team. It's eleven thirty at night, and how do you pass the time? You make fun of the guy that's. <laughs> Being a jerk to everybody. So <laughs> to, to your credit, though, Matt, because there there's a difference between you at that time and some other broadcasters, either in L.A. or, you know, national, whatever. You would do this while continually finding yourself in a room with Joel Myers. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like, like it, oh, it's yeah. sim- it's similar to how, you know, Brian, I'm not going to say that Brian and I were the first people at 710 that would do Mitch Kupchak impressions, but we were, I think we were the first people that would do them nonstop. Right. And then it started turning into something that other people would do. And while while Mitch was always extremely nice to us, both very personal, whatever. Oh, I'm a very nice guy. Yeah. I heard it from a lot of people that he was not a fan. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And we never did it like, to him, <laughs> like, right. like with like next well, to him in the you know, I, dining room. The funny thing is, you know, Joel, um, Joel still does. Uh, I still come across him from time to time because he does the, uh, and I think he's, I'm pretty sure he still does do the television games for Saints preseason. And, you know, Sean Payton and Anthony Lynn uh, are very close. And so we would get those joint practices every year uh, between the Chargers and the and the Saints. So I would see Joel every year and I would make a point to, you know, just time time things up just right. So I would run into him in the in the broadcast hallway. Joel, what's up, man? How you doing? Uh, buddy. <laughs> Really good. Fine. Now, how's new ones? Good. Ah, man, it's great to see it. It's good to see you. <laughs> yes. I don't believe you, sir. Yes, we've stumbled. We've stumbled out the gate. My apologies. Uh, no, uh, I, my grave apologies. I, I brought it up. <laughs> Are yeah. you kidding? Um, no, we we were hoping that that you could slip right back into it seamlessly, yeah. and you you did not let us down. Yeah, it's uh, that is uh, oh geez, look at this already. <clears throat> so one, I don't know how it happened, but one of my favorite things is, and I, I typically am listening, you know, when I'm in the car to to music or I, you know, I love podcasts or books on tape. But I found myself becoming obsessed with Chris the Mad Dog Russo. Um, <laughs> not 
look, and he's obviously the guy's a legend, right? I mean, it's Mike and the Mad Dog. So, you know, I'm not trying to take it any way. He does a great job. I get why people listen to the show. But I, I love just his the, – the, the places where he presents, uh, where he chooses to accent words – um, the way he did, like here, uh, this is this is what got me into to, to Mad Dog. You guys listen to him at all? Do you know? Do you know? Bit, yeah, enough, okay, enough so to get what you're talking about. This okay. So here we go. I'm Mad Dog, and you guys, uh, I'll go, uh, Andy. You've just called in. All right, here we go. Let's get to the phones. Andy, it's on the phone. Andy, uh, call it in from Los Angeles. And Andy, uh, what do you got there? What do you got? You got a, you got a point you want to make? He's going to uh, bring it to point now, Andy. What are you going to say? Let's go. What do you got? <laughs> I'm just wondering if you think the Lakers can repeat again. Do I think the Lakers can repeat again? Do I think the Lakers can repeat? Of course it is. <laughs> of course the Lakers can repeat it. Like, but my, like every time, and, and if he has, like he has Phil Sims on for an hour every week. And every for that entire hour. All right, Phil, let's talk about uh, the Rams, uh, Phil. Um, what, do, what do you got for me on Brandon Staley, defensive coordinator? I want to hear what your opinion is on him. What do you got? And then he'll give you the answer. All right, Phil, let's uh, move it over to uh, the other sideline in the Packers and what Matt LaFleur has done. What do, you, uh, what do you got on Matt? What do you think of him? What do you got? What do you, I want to get your opinion on What do you got? Every question ends with, I want to get your opinion on that. What do you got? It, it kills me. And his commitment to mispronouncing words, and this, is, this should not be my comedy routine, and you guys laughing uncomfortably towards it. So I'll I'll cap it with this. But like Who's he was uncomfortable. Talking, <laughs> yeah. I'm having a good time. He was uh, he was talking about the Nickelodeon broadcast, right? But he he mispronounces so many different words and just doesn't care and commits to it. And he'll say things like, "Ah, oh, you know that Noah Eagle, uh, the son of son of Iron." I have a great broadcast, and that Noah's, uh, he's a star. Yeah, probably deserves a show of his own. But I just, you know, it's just a little over the top on a Nickelodeon. You know, <laughs> Nickelodeon, they just didn't go, yeah, it's just a, a Nickelodeon. I, I just, I, I mean, everyone say I, I would get it mostly when I'd be driving home from a game or something like that back in the day when you used to drive home from a game. And mm. they're just, there's certain guys like Jamal Crawford until this year felt to me like a guy who was just grandfathered in. From like the rules of nineteen, to, like two thousand eight NBA, like Jamal Crawford got to play that style of ball because everybody likes him so much, and that just he was right. just that's what he got to do. There are certain dudes that just get to do sports radio from two thousand and six, yeah, and that's those are the rules, and that's what they get oh. to do. And look, his is from from eighty nine, right? <laughs> it's just calls and just engaging. Well, let's go out to White Plains and Arthur's out there. He's like, oh, friend, what do you got, Arthur? Let me hear what you got. I want to hear what you have to say. What do you got? <laughs> I, I remember one time, like, because, like, Hacksaw was one oh, of those God. guys, too, that just was yeah. a legend in what he did. And Hacksaw could do whatever he wanted. It didn't necessarily have to make sense. It, you know, it didn't have to be, <laughs> like, a through line from A to Z. But one of the things that used to crack me up with him was how, how committed he was to calling out the geography of all the different callers he had in like, you know, he'd lay out all the different topics he wanted to get into. Oh yeah. And then he'd lay out all the different cities that he wanted to, <laughs> that he wanted to hear from right. all where his lines were available. I remember one time uh, it should be noted all the same line. <laughs> yeah. yeah, exactly. Ladies line. No difference between the Bakersfield line and the right. Palmdale line. Same I, line. There, there was one time and I don't I still don't know if he like forgot where he was in the show or maybe this was a repeat and I wasn't aware that it was a repeat. 
But there was one time where he set up a segment, you know, doing the usual, these are the topics I want to get into right. and I want to hear from uh, Pacoima to Poughkeepsie to blah, 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 blah. And then the show ended. <laughs> that was the end of the show. Final segment. And again, I don't know if just it was a repeat and, and the some, we're in the some engineer messed it up yeah. or if he lost where he was. But remember, I was like, wait, the, the show just ended. Well, he, he just, you he, know, the, the hacksaw was, you know, the, the, the show was, you know, it was a static show. It was Hacksaw's hot headlines, you know, from top of the hour until about 14. And then he would, and where he would just, and I, and look, I used to work with him. So I used to see him do it where he <laughs> would take the story from the wire for people who have no idea what a wire was. It, it was, you know, this news reporting device where this tape would come out and the story and he would just tear it off and he would tape it onto the paper. And and then he would do all of his stories, and it was basically just whatever came through on the wire. Dateline, Detroit, <laughs> uh, new general manager for the Lions just hired Rams fans. Eight one eight Van Nuys, I want to hear from you. And then and, you know, and and that's and then the very next you know the next segment was calls. And the next segment after that was calls. And the next segment after that was calls. Then he'd get to the top and it'd be Axel's <laughs> out headlines again. And, you know, it was just update, dateline, Jacksonville, Urban Meyer hired as the head. Do I have any Buckeye fans? I want to hear what you think. You know, and that's this is what he did. <laughs> Look, I used, we used to crank call him when I was, when I was younger. Um, and we would use each other's names. Um, <laughs> Where like you know my buddy Zeke used to crank call my buddy Shotner and stuff and we would use yeah as as ballers here is right Julavis so we would call in and like what we would do hacksaw hacksaw couldn't not know about something like hacksaw <laughs> had that had the answer so we would just make up names <laughs> and we'd be like yeah hey uh, hey saw man love the show you're freaking awesome oh what else is new uh, got a question for you man and and like I would say oh um yeah. Uh, the the uh, Houston Rockets they got a they got a like fifteenth man on the bench Andy Kamenetsky what do you got on him <laughs> Kamenetsky uh, tweener not sure if he's gonna get a lot of minutes all right one car leads me to the next <laughs> yeah it's like, uh, it's it's, uh, it's uh, John over in uh, Santa Monica beautiful city love the pier what do you got John? <laughs> Um, yeah, I was wondering what, what do you think of the uh, the new guy on Penske in the IRL, uh, Brian Kamenetsky? What do you got on him? Oh, not a lot. Uh, high expect, low low floor, high ceiling, big bus potential. <laughs> like he would never admit he didn't know something. It was great. What's well, great? But it just shows how much different the world is. Like the internet ruined that. Like you can't yeah. be that guy in the A, the all knowing omnipotent sports guy just doesn't yeah. exist anymore. And yeah, I think to all of our benefit, I mean, and like, he would, the world and, and, is a better place. And he would also never admit that he got something wrong. Like he would, I, I you know, he would come on one, one day and then the very next day, let's just say, oh yeah, uh, it's, it's game seven of the NBA final. I like the heat. The next day, like I said yesterday, <laughs> it's like, wait a minute, that's not what you said. But that's how it was back then. It's like, yeah, who the hell's going to call me out? Is someone <laughs> taking this on a cassette deck? I don't give a damn, you know? And they would just pretend like they got everything right. All the picks from this 
weekend's hacksaws hot NFL selections. Seven and zero oh against the number again. <laughs> no, you weren't. He <laughs> did actually. He doesn't have a sense of humor. No, he. Uh, you know, I'll tell you something. My buddy, uh, those those guys I was talking about, Shotner and Zeke, they got him on like back to back calls. And he got so upset, he left the show like three minutes early. <laughs> I'm doing this for you. If you don't like, you think it's a joke and you want to play games, let's see what you think when you don't have it. He left his show three minutes early because <laughs> they back-to-back them on crank call. <laughs> don't have Hacksaw Hamilton to kick around anymore. Exactly. exactly. So how did it evolve? I mean, we'll get off this in a second, but like, how did it evolve? Like you guys basically, and you know, other, there are other shows, the Levitard, you know, it's kind of made an art form out of this of kind of just doing whatever the fuck you want. Yeah. Like when did it evolve into something that you could do that with? Cause it's a much better for me, at least incarnation of sports radio. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, I, you know, Petros and I, we were talking, it's like, it's our 14th year, you know? And like, we've kind of just always done, I don't think the show's changed at all. It's just kind of been the same show. And I think, Yeah, Well, I guess kind of what you started to realize, or I think what people realized is that they don't want to, they don't want to hear about the hot sports topic, you know, especially in afternoon drive. I mean, they're days long, their boss been screaming at them. They got to go home and, you know, when they get home, they got to freaking whatever, clean the house or take the trash out of it, you know, just entertain them and entertaining them is probably not you know, giving them headlines they already know, or <laughs> given the 15th take on the James Harden trade that happened, you know, six hours ago. So it's just entertain them however you see fit. You know, that's the goal, right? It's it's four hours of just trying to entertain those people. Well, that, that was actually, I remember early on um, when Brian and I first started doing radio and talking with you about this, and, and it was advice you gave that, you know, for better or for worse, I know we both followed. It's just like look the, at, I, look at us now. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Here we are. Thanks for yeah. all your advice, Matt. Yeah. Really yeah. appreciate it. We mostly, we mostly brought you here to yell at you. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, there you go. I like could have the, been a lawyer, Matt. <laughs> so could I. <laughs> but like, but the idea that there there is generally speaking not enough happening for three to four hours of just pure sports talk every single day. So don't try. Like, I mean, unless yeah. it's there, you know, if it's there, obviously, if something major, you stay on it. But like, just go outside it at times. Like, as long as it's something you genuinely That's find entertaining, is, right? I think there's so many shows that now feel as though that's what they're supposed to do and it's awkward and it just doesn't work, you know, and they're just better off screaming at each other about sports Uh, like Mad Dog. You know, it's so great when he goes off topic because he'll just like start talking about his round of golf at his, you know, probably $250,000 to join country club. So there I am on a seventh. And there's a, there's a wind coming in from the left and I was going to go seven iron, but then I went down to the four and uh, yeah, I hit a little thin. Uh, dribbled up there, uh, three putted for Bogue, but it was it felt good. It's I'd be like, it's like what's what? Okay, and he'll do that for <laughs> ten minutes, you know, or he'll talk about. You know, so I think I think even the people that have been doing it forever, that have just been doing the the talk forever, that that's now being coached into them. Hey, these, you know, they want to feel like they're part of your family or they're in your inner circle, so you got to share with them some cool stories about like what's going on in your life. And I think it's tough for some people. Well, it's what it is. It's got to be genuine. It's got to come yeah. from somewhere. Let's say I mean, you've worked with him, so you know what it is with Michael, Michael Thompson, for example. Oh, God, like, I, we, Andy, I loved working with yes. Michael. 
um, because and, and you know our producers would be like, get him back on time. I was like, no, I want to hear him talk about being an astronaut. Yeah, <laughs> like, exactly. What do we fucking exactly. care about the you know the 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 pregame matchups between like you said a a nine win um, Wizards team and exactly. a thirteen win Lakers team during this era? I'd much and clearly Michael didn't care because he no. wanted to talk about being an astronaut. And I you know and and to Michael like one of the great things about Michael and I think this is also you know, a, a very important component for, for radio is the um, willingness to not take yourself too seriously. You know, whereas, um, you know, Michael, and, and look, he's, he's a Laker legend. He's the, the number one overall pick in the NBA draft. And whenever he would start talking about being an astronaut, I would make fun of him on the air. I'd be like, don't you know, I was going to go up into space and that's what Maria Collin was, but I was too tall to fit in a capsule. And like, I don't sound like that, money. <laughs> oh, you don't, do you? Ah, uh, now you don't sound like that. Uh, I really don't sound. And he would, and he would just go with it. You know, a bit of Irish going on in your Bahamian. Exactly. There, it was, it was terrible. It was a horrible accent. But I would, you know, it's what we would do. And Michael was so good about not caring and you know playing along. And uh, I mean, God, I can't tell you how many times I. And he's getting whatever. He used to steal paper towel. And toilet paper. He I don't bring, he I don't bring think his this is a secret, Matt. I feel bad doing it, but man, he would bring. But it's one thing to like grab a thing of paper towel because you see it and put it in your backpack. He would bring an empty duffel bag to work and then fill that duffel bag with the, the explicit intent to steal the paper towel and toilet paper and take it home. It was it just, it was remarkable. What do you got there, Mike? Well, why, why am I not taking it home? Who's going to use it? Well, I don't know. I mean, I think it's for the office. Ah, they got plenty. <laughs> well, it's like in, in the night that uh, Andy and I were, you know, one of those late, you know, TNT games or something like that. And you look over and Sager was filling his his briefcase with the the post game beers from the oh, refrigerator. Yeah. Oh yeah, all the Bud Lights for the crew. Those are for the guys that are tearing down, and they just would hang out there. And Sager would just pound them. And that, yeah, I was. Uh, it At was least, okay, so he was giving them away. That makes me feel better. Yes. No, no, no. no. I mean, that's what those beers were for. <laughs> I felt bad just taking one, and I was drinking with those guys because I was doing post game and getting out of there later than almost anybody else. Yeah, no, Sager was just freaking basically keistering them and taking them back to the hotel. <laughs> yeah, it's just like you you can expense those. I mean, like, yeah. you're Craig Sager. You don't have to steal all uh, the beer. So good. So good. <laughs> By the way, Michael right now, I mean, obviously, like everybody, he is rooting for the pandemic to end. But what we're seeing right now where Michael is able to watch live basketball but totally closed off from other people and germs and like Purell everywhere. This is Michael's version of heaven. Yeah. Like, like is. this is really his utopia. Yeah. He, uh, he, uh, look, uh, you know, I was doing what I did Laker games from Oh five to 10, I think was my, was either Oh five or Oh six to 10. I think it was Oh six to Oh five, Oh six season to Oh nine, 10. Um, he was way ahead of the curve, man. He was, he was hand sanitizer all day, all night. If he found out you were sick, you better get the hell away from him. Uh, so yes, he he was uh, he was well ahead of everybody on that front, and just those giant hands. And he would have that tiny little bottle of Purell, and he would, <laughs> you know, gosh, and and like I'll never. One of my enduring images of Michael is uh, I was fortunate enough, you know, and and bless he and Spiro for being just awesome dudes. Um, they basically told their stat guy, no, we don't need you. And they let me do stats so I could sit courtside 
at the finals um, every, wow. you know, throughout, throughout every playoff. If they, if the, if the, if the uh, team wouldn't put aside a seat for me, they would basically tell their stat guy we're good. Uh, Spiro would, and he'd be like, yeah, you can, you can just do my stats, um, which I wasn't great at. Um, <laughs> so uh, it's the NBA finals. I think it's, I think it's actually game one of the NBA finals and we are on the air second half and Michael is eating popcorn and his, his mic is off, you know, and in, in radio you have like this cough button or something or this like power, you know, turn your mic on and off. And he would just be like, does that all and the game is, and it's fine to do it in the regular season. This is game one of the NBA finals. And he's just decided he's going to sit out two minutes of this broadcast. <laughs> doing pregame, doing, doing pregame with Michael Thompson, particularly when Michael was on the road and one of us would be in the studio, you would have to be prepared for, like, you know, they'd have these pre-taped segments or, you know, you, you'd go into whatever, whoever the coach was at the time, his pregame, and then you'd come out of it and you would fill whatever time was left before the commercial you would have to prepare for the fact that Michael sometimes would just wander off like you and you'd have no idea where he went. If he was coming back, if he's on the road, you didn't even know if he's gone. Like, like you're, you're, if, if you're doing this, at least inside Staples Center, you could watch Michael physically wander sick. to the exactly. other side of the stadium. Exactly. <laughs> but like, when he's supposed to be on the air. One of the, yes. Petros tells one of the great stories. Um, <laughs> the first day he, he was doing the show, um, our show, first day, he comes in and he's kind of lost and he's trying to find his way to, to, the, to the elevator. I think he like took a wrong turn in our building. And uh, we have a gym in our building, uh, a fitness center. I know this story. And he, he sees Michael in there and he's like, oh, hey, Michael, I'm, I'm kind of lost. And he's like, wait a minute, aren't you supposed to be on the air? And he's like, uh, you know, and he's probably two, you know, he's coming in like two hours before our show starts. So the, the cannons has already been on for like 45 minutes. And he's like, oh, don't tell the guys. They think I'm still on a Laker plane. I want to get a workout in. <laughs> you're supposed to be on the air and you're just sitting on a, on, a, on a freaking recumbent bike, you know, reading the newspaper. Don't tell the guys I'm down here. They think I'm still on the plane. <laughs> it's remarkable. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the dedication is is the, yeah. just there. I, I have enormous amount of respect for people who are one hundred percent invested in being themselves. Yes, in in industries and in places and in doing public facing things and forward facing things, where it's very easy for you to feel like you have to. All right, I got to bend a little bit here. I mean, look, I mean, Michael was a Laker. You, you gave all. You gave the resume. He's still a guy working in media, you know, got out of the game, wants a job, needs to make a little money before he dies. I mean, it's like yeah. he's got, there's a lot of time between the end of your career and the and he's just he never, never has and never will. I mean, and I have an enormous amount of respect for people who will who will go through life that way. Yeah, look, he's uh, broke the mold. You know, I mean, that's just it. he's one of one. And it's what makes him great. And, and you know, I think there is something, too, about him being. Look, I mean, when you cover the NBA, you're just surrounded by freaks, right? These guys, they're giants. They're awkward. They can't hide. Michael's six freaking ten. Uh, he's got these gangly arms and hands, you know, and he's always talking with his hands and gesticulating. And, you know, it would be him, uh, Spiro, uh, Doug Mann, who was our stat guy, and me. Mm -hmm. and, and as he's telling stories, he could reach his arm all the way over <laughs> through two people and put it on me as he's telling these stories. Like, So I think there is also something about – that he's just like a cartoon character. Like when you when you look at him, it's like this this 
but this just it's I don't know it just doesn't make sense and, and it makes it even better I think it just it enhances um just kind of the uniqueness of his personality and and how he behaves and then he's got the accent and just the ridiculous things. That <laughs> Not as strong as the accent you've created. No, certainly. I, I honestly, that's I, how I, I hear him. We've like, had yeah. Michael on the show, and I, I closed my eyes. It was as if he was back. Yes, was, exactly. <laughs> by the way, that when we last attempted to have Michael on the show, we eventually had to just give up because he couldn't figure out the Wi-Fi. And in the meantime, he's he's calling on his poor wife Julie to try to set this thing up, and you can hear her off off camera just saying to leave her out of this oh that's so and great. we've actually never met his wife <laughs> met her, but we're pretty her. sure she hates us Don't because that's, that's funny because you tortured him yes julie's awesome um she's uh and like and that's what's funny right it's like michael you know the family was always at the games and like you know i can remember you know little clay and little mikey and, and little trey's coming up to talk to us and stuff and um god just i i wish i could tell some of those stories i can't but yeah. man, there's, no, there's really good ones when the boys would bring, uh, when they got to high school or college and they would bring their girlfriends by. It was just a highlight of my night. Watching <laughs> Michael try to interact with them and their girlfriends. There was, I'll just leave it at that. There was nothing better. <laughs> oh man. Um, well, we want to, we want to make sure we save time for some, some, some music stuff, uh, before yeah. we're done here. Um, what lead but, you to think I should be talking about music. Is there something uh, that would lead you to think that? <laughs> I will. Well, I will say this: like when my we do uh, the um, I, I read this is remembered from a, either a tweet or a debate. I sorry, some something, but like uh, one of the songs that we're now singing, I sing to my daughter, my two year old, um, as she goes to sleep, is Friday. I'm in love. Uh -huh. Like she loves the Cure. I was like, that's cool. Feels like something. It's funny. I thought you were going to say, uh, is you know, speaking to my history in the music business, but I, I wish that story would have ended with, you know, one of the songs I, I sing to my daughter <laughs> when she goes to meet is, uh, is Papa Roach Last Resort. And uh, <laughs> one of no, the, not one of the scourges that I have unleashed upon alt rock society. <laughs> no, it's not quite that bad. Um, I mean, but we, we were going to actually just, I mean, at some point, the we can do it now if you want. Yeah. I mean, the K rock culture was something that when I moved out here in 1990 was like nothing I'd ever seen before in yeah. terms of like a radio station creating culture. You know, I, I there were popular stations in St. Louis, like hugely popular, that, but like I'd never seen anything like the idea that like that station was national tastemakers in ways that I'd never seen anything. Forget just locally where it just really ruled everything in Southern California. Like it was a year or so ahead of everything you knew was eventually going to become massive or influential or in some way it would matter. I'd, ne I'd never seen anything like that. Yeah. Um, you know, the funny thing is, is the, the, the moniker, the world famous K-Rock was a punchline. It was a joke, you know, when they had first gotten started in the late 70s in a, in a house and literally a house in Pasadena is, is where the station started. And they called themselves the world famous K-Rock because it was just this mom and pop operation that was trying to you know compete with some heavyweights and it turned out to be the world famous k-rock you know a lot of it coming thanks to rodney bingenheimer um you know who who was uh, basically the mayor of the sunset strip and close friends with a lot of these bands that were up and coming i mean the thing about rodney was is it was just the it was the rule of many right he befriended everyone you know and and so uh, certainly when you when you wrap your arms around the entire sunset strip 
music scene, a few of those are going to pop. So, you know, when it's Van Halen and, and you're the first one that plays them, it's a pretty freaking cool story. But, you know, of course, Rodney was, was brilliant um, and, and, you know, did have a great ear for music. So that's kind of where, where it started is, um, you know, with that original cast. And then when I came in and what you're talking to, Andy, is, is when Kevin Weatherly, who's, you know, a name not a lot of people know, but he was the program director, he actually came up from San Diego um, was running a top 40 station down there, Q106. And they decided, you know what, I think that might work. Let's see if we can make top 40 work in rock and what we do and whether or not we can kind of grow this and sell it to the masses as opposed to just being the super cool station that plays The Cure and Depeche Mode and New Order and things like that. And he happened to be timed up perfectly with the grunge movement. And he showed up at K-Rock and a couple months later, um, Nirvana come, Nevermind comes out and KLOS decides, which was the big rock station in town, that they weren't sure if that was their sound. Does Nirvana fit next to Rush and Fog Hat? And uh, it was enough of a... I mean, what really does fit next to Fog Hat? Yeah, exactly. I can't imagine spending my days professionally trying to figure out what fits next to Fog Hat. Like, yeah, right. that, that doesn't sound fulfilling uh, to me. I'll tell you what fits next to it. Ali on the hands of Jeremiah, LSD, that's what fits next to it. Um, so, so that was that window, right? And they became the Nirvana station and then the Pearl Jam station and the Soundgarden station. And it just exploded um, from there. And, and, you know, that's who I had kind of worked under and, and learned under in terms of, you know, finding music and programming music. And it was just, you know, you had all these artists that whether they were, you know, kind of foundation artists, um, like those three, you know, the grunge, you know, the big four of the grunge, the Soundgarden, Alice in Chains, Pearl Jam, Nirvana, um, or you still had heritage where we were still playing all of the, you know, um, Depeche Modes, New Orders, Curious, but then you also had all this like cool K rock, you know, K rock music um, that you know the the drama rama anything anything the yeah. uh, Nelly the elephants the de detachable penis by King Missile like those were K rock songs they weren't national hits um, and I think that was you know Kevin used to call it the special sauce he's like I mean the difference between us and everyone else is we've got this catalog of just special sauce that were huge, you know, Berlin Metro, things like that, you know, sex and like all of those Romeo void. I, you know, uh, I like, I might like you better if we slept together, all those yeah. songs is what separated that station from like you said, where you grew up, you know, cause when I was in doing records as opposed to radio, you know, I would, I would travel the country and basically my job was to get records played on the K rocks, of the, the world. So like the point in St. Louis is probably one of my least favorite stations because the guy that ran it was a complete a-hole. Um, Which station? Do you remember? It was called The Point. I think it was 103.5 The Point in St. Louis. The, the, the names, I mean, the honestly, the only radio station I can, I can remember in St. Louis is KG95. And Magic 108. Yeah. Oh, yeah. right. Magic 108. So my good. guess is, is The Point probably came up, you know, after you had left in like the mid 90s yeah. because of the explosion of, of, grunge and an alternative rock but yeah there were very few there were you know, look there were other great stations 93 xrt in chicago uh 1077 the end in um in seattle live 105 in san francisco uh, hfs in dc like you know we had great stations across the country but there was there's very very little like k rock is the is that era that you're describing though? You know when that that explosion of grunge, you know, was sort of the height. You know, that I kind of think of it too as like the last big 
moment for like for even like for MTV. Uh, for example, like, is that is is that the end of that type of radio? Was there anything that like that that came afterwards? Well, I think you know, I just, I mean, maybe hip hop. You know, I think hip hop radio kind of, you know, it, that became a, it, what you weren't just doing, you know, like what they called it back then was you had crossover, you had R&B, um, you actually got hip hop stations that only played hip hop. And I think that was just after, you know, I think those mm-hmm. stations really started popping up in the late nineties, early two thousands. Um, but in terms of, gosh, it's just, it's so different, you know, it's, it's so, uh, it, it's so different now because you know you don't have to go there for it you can go wherever you want you can go to youtube you can go to spot like you can find any song anytime whereas you know back then you know we had to give it to you because we were getting it from the record companies or we were getting it from bands or managers or booking agents would flip you something you know <clears throat> like i'm obviously the one that that everybody always brings up with me is sublime and you know sublime was a local band in long beach and you know i was at pepperdine at the time and you know, I, I started working at Carrick when I was still in college and I just had a buddy who turned me on to 40 ounces to freedom. And I brought it in. I was like, Hey, have you guys heard this? And one of the guys I work with in the music department, he's like, Oh yeah, dude, I love that record. Uh, and we just walked it into the music meeting. It was like a record that was two years old. Uh, and that was one of the great things about Carrick is they would play stuff like that. Like they didn't care. It was just like, yeah, dude, that's, let's play uh, date rape. And even though they've put out Robin in the hood and, and that song is two or three years old, we're just going to play it because we think people, have not heard it yet. They did the same thing with Fugazi Waiting Room. It was like well, that, four that, years that, old. That, that actually happened with uh, Guns N' Roses, with uh, with Appetite for Destruction. Like that that yeah. album had been out for a while yeah. before it eventually broke out. I mean, I, I think it had something to do with being in Lean on Me, uh, that Morgan Freeman movie. And but it's weird. Like occasionally yeah. things like that'll happen. But like what what was striking to me with something with K Rock when I first moved out here in '90 was. There, there were bands that they were playing that I had heard before. I had never heard them played on radio before. Like I'd always had to like go find them in a record store, be some type of word of mouth thing. The idea of, of you know stuff at the time, you know, college rock, you know, right. was called eventually became alternative. Like the idea of it being on a station with an actual s- signal. What that's what yeah. was really unique to me. And you caught the tail end of it, you know, because after that, it really changed. You know, when I look, when I was music director there, I, I, I like to think I, I did a pretty good job of, of trying to keep that spirit alive, but it had changed so much. It had become, uh, uh, you know, the, I mean, hell, the year I was there, it was the highest billing station in the history of the country. They had, they had ended up, or, or in the history of Los Angeles, I think we built like $49 million or something like that. So, you couldn't do what they did way back in the day, right? It was just too big of a... a All know, of that for a Sublime album? <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, you know, back back then you could. You could play stuff that no one else would, but it, it kind of got away from that. But, you know, you could, you had those little... Like, here's a perfect example, The Shins. You know, I loved The Shins. They were my favorite band. I could never, you know, get that record played. It just wouldn't... They, they weren't having it. And then Garden State comes out. And it's like, well, you know what? We can play a new slang. It's a bummer because Shoots Two Narrows out, and that's an awesome record. But, all right, I'll, I'll, you know, it's, it, this is a terrible parallel, but I think it might work. Um, it's kind of just like, you know, compromise in politics, right? You, you try to come up with a bill that's good because you know you can't get great. So it was like, well, if this is the only way we're going to get the shins played, then I'm going to go ahead and support this Garden State soundtrack and new slang, which is two years old instead of, 
you know, kissing the lipless or something in the band's going to be pissed, but Hey, at least we're playing the shins on K rock. <laughs> uh, Sector Cruz is asking, uh, speaking of K rock, are those records behind money from his producer days? These are from my, um, and I rotate them because for whatever reason, it's funny of all the people, <laughs> I so much success so that I uh, Tom Telesco, the GM of the chargers, when he was watching me on, uh, because the people at NFL network were like, Hey, can you put some stuff behind you? And, you know, everybody makes their fancy little, uh, oh, there we go. There's that. And then there's like stuff. We've done 85 shows. I'm not kidding. And exactly. I have uh, blinds. I got blinds. <laughs> so this is, uh, what do I have behind me now? These are both from when I worked at DreamWorks. So this is the uh, Jimmy World Bleed American, which actually had to be changed because Bleed American um, came out right before 9-11. So it ended up getting changed to Jimmy World, Jimmy World. Um, but for our sake, for the platinum record, we still kept the Bleed American on there. And then um, uh, that's Nelly Furtado, double platinum. So Nelly was originally an alt artist when we got her. Um, when she came in, I was like, dude, this record's great. We can totally work this at, at all. And the first station that ever played Nelly Furtado, believe it or not, was an alternative rock station in Detroit, 89, uh, 89X, CIMX in Detroit, played Nelly. It was the first radio station to ever play uh, Nelly. So, yeah, that's, that's what that is there. So I'm kind of cool, but... You know, not cool. <laughs> yeah. Travis, Travis Tango asks, I always wonder if you'll change your back or Brian. <laughs> I think you're proud of it. It's not so much that I'm proud. I'm exceedingly lazy, but also because of the space that I do the show from, anything I put up, my wife is going to ask me to take down <laughs> during the day. And yeah. so I'm not doing this every day where I put up a background and then take the background down. Well, I'm not you know, doing that. The funny thing is, is like, I thought this was going to be, um, I thought this was going to be up for, three weeks you know it's like ah whatever i'll have some fun with it i i'm like these things don't hang in my house they've all just been stacked and and look i had you know a 10-year career in the music business so when you work that long when you're the music director at K like these are just for my record days like when you're the music director k-rock people are flipping you gold and platinum records all the time and it's just like whatever you know i, I remember i gave my hoobastank one to jay and dan from fox because they used to make a <laughs> It's still my favorite sports show of all time. Their little show that they did on uh, FS1 in that closet was the greatest thing uh, that that the sports world has ever known. And they used to make a joke about Hoobastank all the time. Like it, they would show like a highlight and it sucked and they'd say something along the lines of, that's the kind of highlight that the Hoobastank guys would be into. <laughs> and so one day I run into Jay and I'm like, uh, or no, that's I think it was Dan. Uh, it was Dan's, uh, anyway, somebody... I was like, hey, can you give them this? And I, and the person looked at me like, "Is oh, I know what it was. It was our makeup person at NFL Network. Also did makeup at Fox Sports. <laughs> and so she was like, oh, yeah, um, Jay and Dan love you and Petros. You know, they'd listen to the show all the time. And I was like, oh, right on. Uh, next day, I bring her my Hoobastank quadruple platinum record. And I'm like, can you give this? to uh to them and and they'll know what to do with it just tell them to put it in the studio and they lost their minds they're like who would ever give away a quadruple platinum hoobastank record i was like a guy who would never put up a quadruple platinum <laughs> hoobastank record in his house that's who i find it shocking that they had a quadruple platinum album like that that's the reason, actually man, my the reason was a monster monster that was a that was a billboard hot 100 number one the reason was, and it's funny. I remember we had the debate there. Uh, like we had, we had this debate a couple times and it was just so, it was so stupid, you know, whether or not it, we would play the song or not. I mean, it was it, it, so hooting the blowfish. Uh, we did not play, um, Creed, 
uh, my own prison, we did not play. Um, <laughs> Good Google, call so far. Yeah, but but that, that, so here's what I'm getting at. Um, Goo Goo Dolls name, first station in America to play it. Uh, makes no sense, right? It's like it's the same. It's the same, just kind of gooey. Yeah, pop, you know, alt rock, top forty style ballad. Hoobastank, uh, the reason. Yeah, played that. Uh, Nickelback did not play. Like it was, just, <laughs> it was weird what we decided we were gonna and what we weren't gonna play. Those, by the way, you want to talk about? I mean, I've never. Maybe you've met them. I've never met them. I have no idea what they're like, who they are. Those poor guys have become just the most punchline. automatic punchline. Yeah. I, you know what's funny? I make fun of them, and I don't even know their music well enough to know if they deserve it. Like, I've just yeah. jumped on this thing. Nice guys. Um, they were Derek, I think, is the lead singer's name. Super nice guy. Um, feel bad, but hey, whatever, man. They, they had a quadruple album, you know, quadruple platinum album. They, they, they wrote a song, and it was a big hit, so just be thankful and recognize you're probably like, look, the, the, the Eve six Twitter feed is a perfect example of how to roll with it. Right. And I don't know if you guys have seen it, but it's freaking brilliant. The, oh, yeah. The front. You have to check it out. It's awesome. Uh, basically, what he does is he lobs out um, the same question to every celebrity on the on Earth. Hey, what do you think of the heart in a blender song? <laughs> it's, it's brilliant. <laughs> like he doesn't take himself too seriously. Um, it's it, and so I think you recognize, look, that was my place. In the world of music, unfortunately, uh, we have one of the most asinine band names ever, and uh, we're known for one of the most, you know, one of the biggest and one of the most hated uh, songs ever put on alternative rock radio. The whole concept of the one-hit wonder is a weird one because it's really hard to get a hit. Like, yes, it's. I'm glad you mentioned that. So, like, I remember when I was you know, first starting out, you know, in, in, in the music department at K-Rock and, and actually ultimately when I became the music director, um, I would be like, man, this, like, this is like, I was, I was the guy that was, and that's what your job is, is music director versus program director. You're the one that's supposed to bring in everything and throw it against the wall. And then the program director can figure out, okay, what's going to stick, um, you know, but you better not miss anything. That's your job is to make sure you don't miss anything. Um, but I can remember just screaming and yelling about, you know, Modest Mouse and Franz Ferdinand and all of that when that was starting to happen and all these different bands I want to play and drive by truckers. We should be playing this, but it's like country. Yeah, but it's cool country. And and uh, I can remember Kevin saying, hey, man, it's it's really, really easy to be cool. It is really hard to be popular. Um, and I think that's kind of where the one hit wonder comes from is it's really hard to write a hit a song that people will hear and and be able to take away seven or eight seconds from and because that's all the, the hook you know the hook um and that's how you get your one hit wonders you know that's how you get heart in a blender what's the difference between cool and popular um well i think there's just a lot of great records that you know like i love the grateful dead they're probably my favorite band but i get it i get why it's it doesn't work for a lot of people why it just sounds you know, I mean, like, look, I've seen a bunch of shows. I even get up during drum space. You know, what I mean, like, you it's know. one of my favorite. Now, granted, it's when I'm peaking, so that's <laughs> usually so. Well, drum, drums, I love. Space, space no. is yeah. where I kind of tune out. Depends, you know. Am I having micro dots? Am I having window paint? Where am I? <laughs> you know, what are we? What are we doing here? And then whether or not I'm into space. Um, so I think that's, you know, but but I'm. I think it's a great point, Brian, because, and that was what I would always push back with is well it'll be popular if we play it because we're K rock. And that's, and that was one of the, that was kind of the power that, that, 
you managed to wield. And I was never quite comfortable with it. Um, you know, like, wow. that and, and it was no different than when I was with the, you know, with the record label, when I was working at, at um, like, there's, there's this band, when I, before I got to DreamWorks, I worked at a, a label called London and Slash, and, and actually we just lost Bob Biggs, who founded Slash, who was just the coolest guy ever, man. And we had this band called on Slash called Imperial Teen. And it was a brilliant record. I mean, freaking brilliant. And we had this other record, this band Lincoln, both awesome. It just didn't hit. It didn't make sense. They wrote hits. They were great songs, but for whatever reason, they, you know, the radio stations just decided they weren't going to play them. Um, and then you would get these weird, you know, you would get these kind of weird, um, like like Papa Roach, right? Last Resort, it was teetering. Like it almost didn't go. Well, first of all, the band didn't want to didn't want us to lead with that single. They wanted some other single, and I was like, "Well, tough shit. We're th 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 I don't care what you think. This is the song we're going with." But like it, it was out there for about eight weeks. And most people are like, oh, we're just kind of over the whole rap rock thing. You know, we've been through it. There's, we've already had enough of it. And I'm like, oh, I don't care how much you've had. The song's a hit. Um, and sure enough, uh, it was our first week of sales. And we ended up selling for a band named Papa Roach that no one ever heard of before. We ended up selling like 35,000 copies of the record in the first week. And wow. all the radio stations were like, holy crap. And that's how it became a number one song. Um, so it's just you know, I, I think what I'm getting at is to your point is what who decides what's popular versus what's cool. You know, Papa Roach was not cool. It was popular, but it was almost not popular. Okay, you had said before that it, it's really hard to become popular as a band, like to come up with a song that is popular. From your perspective, how hard is it to actually predict what will be popular beyond just the the reach K Rock had? Well, you know, I think that's that, that's kind of a two-way street, right? Because if you play something enough, you basically like I I I was never a big Incubus guy, and I thought half the songs we played by Incubus were just crap. You know, I just like, but we played them ten thousand times, and eventually you find yourself singing goodbye, nice to know you. And it's like, this song is terrible, but I've heard it so much. But I guess it's, you know, so I think there's a way to make something popular. You know, it, it, like there, there's a way to do that. You just play the hell out of it and you convince people that, and that's what was kind of funny, right? Is if you had a soft spot for something, you would do that. You would get back research. It wouldn't be selling and you would just keep playing it because you no, I'm convinced. So, yeah, I mean, there were there were records that I was totally convinced were going to be freaking huge and ones that I was convinced were going to just absolutely bomb. Um, it's no different than sports scouting, right? You, you talk to scouts and now it's become, you know, there's so many Internet scouts out there now that, that think you're supposed to know exactly how every giant superstar is going to play when they're in college and you can't possibly know. Yep. I think it's very similar for music. You know, you I gave up trying to be that guy after Marcus Pfizer washed out of the league. He yeah. was the last player that I was like, oh, yeah, I am. Um, no, that guy's, gonna be, that guy's gonna be a, a dominant player, yes. dominant player in the league. And uh -huh. I, I quit after that because he yeah. sucked 100%. Um, and that's, I think, how to some degree that's how music is. You know, you think. You think you know, you know, and and it's just weird. It's it's so you know who knows what the hell a capricious listening audience is going to decide they like and and spend fourteen ninety five in a jewel box and buy the CD back in the day. You know, <laughs> but, like, but that it's a great it's a great seg because like for me, I, I there are a lot of reasons this has happened to me. I am you know I'm forty five now. I am a, you know bored you know bored, basically an old person. Um, 
three kids, 29 jobs, whatever. And I just weren't that cool in your heyday. Never, never was. <laughs> like, and to some degree don't have sort of the bandwidth to just consume a lot of new music. It's never been, it, it's right. never been quite the high enough priority for me. But the other thing is like the, the way music is consumed now is so different than when it was when I was in high school, when I was in college, when I first got out and was really still following along with stuff that I, I, I'm not good at it. I'm not good at finding the things right. that I that I would well, like. That's funny because it's easier than ever because of the algorithm, right? If you have Pandora and you just punch in the one song you like, then all of a sudden they start putting that algorithm together and you either thumbs up or thumbs down it and they can create. It's like for me. Sure. No, right. And I get the so AI and all that behind yeah. it. But it's 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 the pro some of it's the process. Some of it is like, you know, like you say, you I mean you, you know, if you're used to going out and thumbing through the jewel boxes and doing right. all that kind of stuff. The experience of albums and artists and all that stuff is so different now. Yeah. What song? So what what makes you you talk a lot about what made something pop in you know 95, 96, you know, 2002, whatever it is. What makes things pop now? What what is what is well, different I think about we're just so now? much more of a song culture, you know, mm -hmm. and, and that it gradually made that move, right? Because we, you know, like you said, when we went out to discover you know, you had to buy an album. So you really had to commit and you, and you would listen to that album because you spent your $9 on the cassette or $15 yeah. on the CD. You weren't just clicking, uh, you know, your Spotify link and, and going through. Well, plus like back in the so, days of cassettes or albums, fast forwarding was a bitch. Exactly. Yeah. Especially if you had a shitty car stereo that had the fast yeah. forward jacked on oh, one the, the, the technology where it would stop over at the oh, next song that. was exactly. mud. Like you had that, you were golden. You could spend your fourteen ninety five, like you said, and a little bit too much rewinding. Like in the first yeah. hour, you could end up ruining your cassette. I think yeah. It, I mean, snap. The, the funny thing is, it's so true. The uh, and remember, you would invest the two ninety nine in a single if you really, you know, oh yeah, you weren't sure. Yeah. Word. Yeah. I, I don't know word. if this uh, if this Nana Cherry is going to break, but I'm going to get this Buffalo man, <laughs> Buffalo. The, fans. the ultimate in singles for me, like the the just true. I don't even know if they had an album. Do you remember that? I God, I don't remember what they were called, but they did this mashup. Is I think the first mashup I'd ever heard. Of Freebird and Baby, I Love Your Way. Uh, will to Power. Will to Power is, I think, terrible. What That's I, I do remember awful. it. It's terrible. It's awful. <laughs> that was, I believe, my first experience with a single, just something that was, I think, popular. And I put it in as like, what the hell? Yeah. I think I really did have Nina Cherry's Buffalo Stance. I think I had that on Casingle. Um, what else did I have on Casingle? I think I had uh, Pet Shop Boys. It's a sin on Casingle. Um, but you know, we used to like, like I was a big, uh, clearly, I mean, I got into the music business. I was a big fan of music. So I used to go to shows and, you know, I would want to get there early. I wasn't the guy that, that, you know, the person that wanted to just show up for the headliner. I, I was there for all three openers who, you know, who's good enough to get on this bill that the, uh, you know, whatever, take your pick that, that so-and-so decide bad braids decided to have these three bands in front of them. I'm going to go see them. And that's, you know, how I would get to Like, I remember like um, that that's the Spotify algorithm of the day is whoever exactly. your band thinks is good. Right. Is who, yeah. yeah. And, and so you would go and watch, um, you know, like I saw Dave Grohl drumming for Scream back when he was the drummer for Scream in, in 89 when they came through. I think they opened up for my life with the Throw Kill Cult. And I just remember being in the audience and there were maybe 15 of us there. I think that's who they opened for. It was at this place called Dreamers. Um, and just getting that, that, that was my, you know, and I was way into it. I was like, dude, this band screams pretty rad. And, you know, that's how you would find stuff. Um, and, and now it's just, 
I don't, I don't know. I don't know if it's better or worse because it's so easy to find every freaking genre and all the popular music. And now you have all this back catalog you can just tap into like, oh, like you said, the Freebird, Baby I Love Your Way mashup. Like you hear the sample of uh, Super Tramp and you can go back from Gym Class Heroes or whatever the hell the name of the band is. And you go back and listen to Take a Look at My Girlfriend. Now you're listening to Super Tramp and like, and you go down this hole, right? That's hours long. There, there is nothing, by the way, now that makes me feel older than current music oh, because, God. like, there, there's nothing though that will expose how little I know. Like, uh, when the you know when the insurrection was going on at the Capitol, and there was that story that came out that Ariel Pink was there, and I, I guess caught up in this. My immediate reaction wasn't like, "Oh my God, how does how does somebody do something like that?" You know, I hope they arrest him. I don't know what that what is, is. Ariel Pink. Like, what is I that? Had, uh, I, I just had the same no, reaction. I don't know who Ariel Pink is. <laughs> like, We're all there. No, or like when, when when James Harden was with Lil Baby. I'm like, I don't know no who idea. or what that is. But, or I mean, you know, Jack Harlow with Lou Williams. I'm like, I I don't know I, what yeah. I tell what? this, I've told this story a million times when I looked at the billboard. <laughs> I looked at the billboard and asked my wife, who's Florida? You know, <laughs> she she was deeply ashamed. Right. Deeply ashamed of that. I, 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 I walk around, I am Mark not a band. Yeah, I am March Simpson. Music is none of my business. Like, yeah. That is basically where I am in my life. Yeah, it's um, popular music is, you know, I, look, I, I've told this, uh, you know, when I when I get asked, uh, I think a lot of people are interested because it is it is kind of, I, I think it's interesting to, to kind of hear all the sausages made in the world of radio and music and stuff. Um, I've always found it fascinating, but I I regularly have this same answer. And and I think it, you know, at least it, it was my story. And I think it it holds is I said, you know, we can sit here and bitch about how our music was so much better than theirs. And, you know, when I was growing up and minor threat and naked rig <laughs> and bad brains and all these great punk rock bands, like that's, that's, that was real, you know, unbridled F you to the, to the man youth, you know? And it's like, well, yeah, because I was youth and they were the man and that's right. what I was listening to. It's no different now. It's just, it's and now it's like you said, it's Ariel. I don't know if it's better. I don't music today could be light years better than the shit yeah. I listened to. And I was, I don't know because I, no, I you're right. I because, it, because I think it speaks to you, right? Like when you were, you know, when you were young, it was whatever spoke to you that, you know, and you never listened to what your parents listened to. You wanted to listen to something that they weren't into. And they're like, Hey, why? What is that you're listening to? F Martinez, F F Martinez. It's like, yeah, it's a two live crew, man. It's uh, Luke Skywalker. What is that? What is he saying again? Martinez. Oh, okay. I mean, I, I, I have to think, Andy. There was some sort of a uh, that was part of your attitude when you used to play, you know, Beastie Boys, "License to Ill" yeah. on volume seventy three, all day My, long. Our parents had the most visceral unpleasant reaction to that album and like i used to play a lot of like hardcore punk like x dead kennedys like i, right. I had a pretty for like a i don't know like seventh eighth grade or whatever year that was a pretty wide taste in music i played a lot of stuff that parents a lot just, of heroin yes I, yeah. I was also starting early uh, wow. I, I think it's it's good to just get it out of the way look you at know? those veins <laughs> exactly like 13 14 you get a little taste yeah. and then you then you yeah, move yeah. on <laughs> it's my understanding it's not a very addictive drug no not at all <laughs> but for whatever reason license to ill rubbed them so it's the funny. wrong way they were just like they'd come into a room and be like i'm begging you like put put x back on right like, put the circle jerks back on i'm beg i'm begging you that's so funny yeah they it, i feel like i have that 
and I try not to do it, you know, with, with my daughters, I try desperately not to do it, but it's just the same. I feel like it's the same song. And they all said, and like, it's exactly what our parents said. No, see in this one, dad, what, <laughs> what the dead Kennedys are doing is they're telling Nazi punks to fuck off and it's okay. <laughs> This is much different than Wild in the Streets by the Circle Jerks. It's much different. It did, uh, I, to them, it's all the same. This, you know, 2020, you mentioned you, you're setting up. You didn't think you'd be doing your stuff from that home studio for a yeah. year. I have, you know, the you know, kids are at home. They're doing their school from home. So every day I have a Zoom call, this, whatever it is, I have to find whatever room isn't occupied. Half the time, it's my kids' room, the boys' room. And... The, the place that I can plug in my computer most conveniently, and I was a little tiny desk and whatever, and behind me is their Imagine Dragons poster. Oh, no. And every time I have to sit there and start oh, a Zoom no. call, I'm, I like try to position my head exactly in the middle of the Imagine Dragons poster so those people on the Zoom call don't think I'm a big Imagine Dragons fan. Yeah, that'd be bad. But my kids love them. Like, I'm not yeah. going to convince my kids that that isn't a good band. I mean, no, I don't try. It's fine. Whatever. I, I, 100%. Let them, let them, let them learn, you know, let them, let them discover I, and learn on their own. I, I consider it one of my big accomplishments in parenting. And I, you know, time will tell how many I actually had, you know, cause she's only nine. We'll, you know, we'll see in nine more years how this is looking. My daughter likes Prince. It's great. Like I can, she likes Prince and she likes Johnny Cash. I've managed to get those oh, two great. things in organically. Everything from everything else from here is probably going to be downhill but I'm always going to be able to look at that. And Absolutely. like, she knows some Prince deep cuts, like some genuine deep cuts that a lot of Prince fans probably don't know. That has made me very, very proud. Her favorite song is Darling Nikki. <laughs> <laughs> loves it. Oh my God. I remember like before bed every night. <laughs> the first time I heard that song, I was like, because I, you know, with Purple Ram, you know, I love that yeah. album and all that. I distinctly thinking, remember thinking to myself, I don't know what this is, but I'm pretty sure I shouldn't be listening to it. Yeah. I can say I'm, I'm with you. I can still I can see the album, you know, the mm -hmm. vinyl and listening to it and being like, ooh. <laughs> oh, yeah. well, like, you oh. know, before before Computer Blue with the yeah. Wendy. Yes, Lisa. Is the water warm enough? I'm like, exactly. Wait, I don't exactly know what's going on because I'm 12. <laughs> But it sounds like there's something particularly <laughs> yes. risky. Go on. <laughs> Maybe even is the water warm enough? I, I would like to know. <laughs> like, I don't, why would Wendy necessarily care about Lisa's bathwater? <laughs> like, <laughs> okay. I'm just not quite aware. Is this, time. by the way, I saw this the other day. My wife showed this to me the other day. She managed to see it. Now, is this oh, an appropriate honorary for Prince to have on your front door? Yes. I think I, I, would, I would be all for that. I'd feel good about that. I do, by the way. <laughs> I, I love the uh, the purple sandals uh, next to it. You can see next to the Oh, right. There. Yeah, that's good. That is someone who uh, I, I imagine you go in and there's a lot more uh, prints there uh, well, considering okay. those those sandals. Okay, We were talking about, you know, before what's cool, what isn't <clears> cool. <throat> like the moment I, I'd always known Prince is cool, even though he's sort of low key, kind of a weird geek, but he's also <laughs> incredibly cool. But the moment where I think I really realized this, even after being you know a fan of his since I was like eight or nine, was seeing him at the forum. He was basically performing in something that one of one of the Golden Girls would have worn. Yes. I mean, it, was like, it was like a moon, like a blousey pajamas yeah. and legit high heels. And he looks like yeah. the coolest person on the planet doing this. Yeah, it's Prince, and it's funny, you know, like Prince was even 
like it, it's, I don't know. And I think it just kind of speaks to being a kid, right? Just wasn't cool enough for me for too long. And then you kind of mature and you're like, wait a minute, this is, this is really good music. Um, uh, and I think that's, that's kind of one, like going back to the, you know, what we were talking about earlier, right? What's, what's the difference between cool and popular and can, when can you merge the two? Like it's something when you can really merge it. Um, and, and that's something that, you know, yeah. Prince was, was, I mean, really, really popular and still really, really cool. There, yeah. Really quick before we let you go, there's a yeah. great story in uh, Trouble Boys. This is amazing uh, biography about the replacements. And they were a Minneapolis band, you know, Prince's Minneapolis musician. And Paul Westerberg told this story about how he and this musician that he was friends with, he didn't even say who it was, but he described this guy as pretty arrogant, like really thought he was just hot shit. And right. they were at this Prince concert and they were watching him just do his sound check. And his friend looks over at Paul Westerberg and says, I'm fucking embarrassed to be alive right now. Yeah. <laughs> like, that's just imagine. how incredible yeah. Prince was. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I'm trying to think of who else we got. Uh, if we're doing Minneapolis, you know, Paul Westerberg, you got Soul Asylum, Dave Pernier. <laughs> you Who's, got Prince. Husker Du. Exactly, Husker Du. Um, yeah, there's not a lot there. I mean, to have Morris Day. Right. You know, Morris Day in the time. Um, shoot, I'm sure. Oh, Bob Dylan. Yeah, that, that turns out that's a pretty big one. That's a pretty good one. Uh, <laughs> I'm career. familiar with his work. Yes, but uh, pretty awesome freaking scene. To I love the replacements. Um, oh yeah, if you've right. never read that book, read it. It's I will. Amazing. I'm not. I absolutely will. It's amazing. Uh, Matt Money Smith. Uh, you, I hope that was all right. No, this yes. is ideal. Uh, and uh, we we won't keep you uh, past. You know, you're a surfer these days. We got to get you out. I of am, the, uh, and I. I, by the way, had to take a nap before this to be full disclosure. <laughs> I was watching the Kings game and I, and I was um, laying on my bed and I was like, you know what? I better set an alarm because <laughs> I, uh, we didn't go on. Petros and money was not on until 5 PM today following the Bruins game. So I did a double session. I, I did uh, two hours in the morning and then I did another two hours wow. at 1130 and I was exhausted. And so I, um, alarm. I have overslept for my own show. So I, I would have understood. Um, we this appreciate it, man. A ton of fun. We really appreciate you taking the time. Oh, this is great. You got it, man. That was fun. Fun reliving some of our uh, old uh, hanging out with AB in the Chick Hearn media room days and oh. uh, and laughing at Joel Myers and how much he hates everybody. <laughs> <laughs> you know, he tried to get me fired, right? I'll just bookend it with that. He tried yeah. to, he went to Tim Harris and told him he should fire me. That's, you know, that's you, you very collegial. Can't have a guy go at the radio making fun of your play-by-play -play voice. You can't have that. You can't have. <laughs> why, why not? Why not, Joel? He's, he's. It's just. It's. They're just kind of screwing with you. Yeah. It's. You know. I never. You know. I don't smoke, buddy. You know. I, know, I heard you talking about me on the air the other day. You saying something about me smoking. It's like, uh, Joel, you you bummed a cigarette off me in Phoenix. <laughs> that didn't right. count. I was, that, yeah, that didn't count. I was drug. <laughs> 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 all right man this is yeah. awesome we uh looking forward to the day where we can actually see you in person again by the way you don't um, have a drink right well yeah you, you just told me you're yeah that was wine it doesn't count these are these are actual conversations <laughs> they're actual conversations by the way i don't drink well you just i mean you put down like two bottles of wine yeah, I, don't, I don't count wine <laughs> well that's good to know I'll let my dad know. He's an alcoholic. He's been sober for 40 years. I'm sure he'll let know he can start drinking wine again. Let me tell you who might beg to differ. The police officer that pulls you over. Exactly. Oh. Let me both say you're right. Joe, I don't smoke. <laughs> Wait a minute. Something's, something's not connected here. Sorry. All right. Let's go. We're out of here.
Matt, thank All you right. very much, man. We uh, appreciate it. Tomorrow that. night, who's on tomorrow, Andy? Aaron Rasul. Uh, Aaron Rasul, yeah, we'll get back to the Lakers post uh, post Lonzo and the Pelicans in town. Well, uh, Zion and the Pelicans, Lonzo's out. Well, one of those guys will play. <laughs> I'll do my prep before <laughs> the show. Well, I'll, sure. I'll figure it out. Whatever it takes. Yeah. All right, it's, see everybody tomorrow. Hours play. Don Camino Lonzo.